Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And even your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDoc founder membership. Imagine that you could get access to the revenues you'll be generating in the next 12 months already today. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth and on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or go to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. So there's a vision for the company, there's a vision for the product, but each of the people that are working in it also have personal visions. Right, so you need to find a way to thread that through to the company all the way to the end to have a cohesive team. And if you compromise on any of those things, you end up paying the price one way or the other. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Tarek Ralph. Uh, welcome, Tarek. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. First time guest and uh, keeping an eye on, on catalog and your, your your colleague, Ryan Burke, who uh, was at Envision. And I think he's now, is he your CRO? Uh, yes, he's our CRO. Yeah. yeah um, you know, he uh, we spoke before he kind of joined the company and after he joined the company and he's spoken at SaaS conferences before. So he's kind of been following a little bit, you know, of your journey, but looking, um, you know, looking forward to learning much more from you, uh, you know, in person today and sharing that uh, those lessons with uh, our, uh, the the SaaS doc community and our, our, our listeners. And I really kind of wanted to get to kind of learn the, the, the journey. I think you, as as you, your business, you've, you've been running it now for around sort of three years. Is that right? Two years, one and a half to two years. One and a half to two years. Uh, and, uh, and and yeah, really just kind of getting that, that journey uh, as, as you're at that kind of that earlier stage uh, to really understand, you, you know, why you found the business right the way through to kind of where you are today. And, you know, a lot of the lessons that you, you've learned, um, yeah. you know, on, on that way. Um, but st- before we go into, into that, firstly, about you, you know, as a person, can you share, you know, uh, a, a little bit about, you know, who is uh, uh, Tariq Ralph? No, Absolutely. Um, so my history goes uh, in tech goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. 
So I started coding when I was six. Uh, I built my first business selling um, custom Microsoft Access software to warehouses at the age of 12. And um, I trained as an architect. That helped me see things a little bit differently, especially thinking about you know large systems and interplay of people and ergonomics uh, in solutions. And um, so also, that's also informed like you know my approach to building better infrastructure for work. And so I, I really I learned to design like really thoughtful spaces that humans worked within, right? And then I've I've sort of taken all these lessons over to how can you do that in a digital realm? And uh, that's where most of the structured thinking on how to resolve work problems comes from. Now, I've worked at a few startups and mid-sized companies and large tech orgs, um, and I saw firsthand the inefficiencies of modern work and early stage startups. I saw how chaotic it was and at TransferWise, I learned how important it was to like give people access to information and context as quickly as possible because they get blocked otherwise and they don't know what to do or they don't know how things piece together, especially in a fast-growing company like TransferWise. And at Amazon, like I could see how the old ways of like working can become institutionally entrenched. And even though new tools and new productivity methods have come in, it can like severely blunt their impact. Right? And a lot, there's all these problems with throwing a lot of people at the problem and throwing a lot of money at the problem. Now, not everybody has that capability. And so that journey has sort of led me to build this platform for everybody that can work with the sophistication of these large companies but you know, well, well before they start investing millions of dollars into tooling for that. You know, from looking at these inefficiencies and understanding that problem, this is what led you to then, you know, found a uh, found catalog. But how did you then go from having that idea, uh, and then I guess you left from Amazon uh, or your role at Amazon to then, you know, creating your, I, I guess this is your first SaaS uh, sort of like company. Yeah. Um, how did you go then from that idea? Like, what were the steps to then? Okay, now I'm starting to build the company. Um, like, what, what what did that look like, and how long did that time you know process take? So the first version of catalog I built um, as a prototype myself back in 2013. So it goes like this wasn't this isn't new. This wasn't like a sudden flash in the pan sort of moment. It was more like slowly watching all these companies just struggle with you know all this data that exists in systems and people are doing the work of pulling out context with meetings and docs and emails and whatnot. So this, this gap between um, lots of data exists in systems, like, you know, project management tools of project data, GitHub has code, your docs have context. Piecing that together was a manual process. And, and that just repeatedly showed itself in every single context that was placed in. So I was like, this needs to be solved once and for all. But the, but the journey from seeing that inefficiency and gap in the market through to building a company and productizing a solution is, 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 a, is, is, a, is not a linear path, if that makes sense. And so this was a personal pain point I felt at all the organizations I worked at. And I found ways to solve it for myself, my team, and my org with ad hoc processes, right? And uh, slowly, the productization of how does this manifest as a SaaS tool happened. It was a slow cooking process, right? And it was thinking through the abstractions, thinking through the interfaces, thinking through the, the, the usage models and how people would interact with it, how other people would interact with it. And so that was a, there was a slow cooking process for about five, six years where I looked at it from 30 different angles. Now, it reached, it reached a point when... Um, 
I was at Amazon and I got my permanent residence in the UK. I'm 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 an I'm Indian and I'm, I was here on visa. And uh, as soon as I got my permanent residence, I resigned um, literally the next day, and I incorporated the company the day after that. Right, and um, from then on, it was a structured process of building up, building out the vision, building out the pieces, laying out a path to how do we solve this for companies everywhere globally. And then recruiting the team and recruiting eventually the investors, and all of this happened in the space of months, right? And uh, but the point, the inflection point, was me being able to start a company here, right? well, legally at least, and uh, sort of manifesting all of those different experiences that I've had and all the different solutions that I put in my in my head, and so it crystallized in terms of here's the vision for this company, here's the vision for this product. And here's how we're going to get there. Here's what we're going to need. Here are the people that are going to that are going to build this thing. And here's and here's how we're going to execute our way step by step into this larger vision. So that was that was uh, crystallized, like before the company was essentially officially started. And uh, we raised the three and a half million dollar seed round to get the company off the ground essentially. So I brought a bunch of teammates from Transferwise and Amazon, a few people from Stripe. Um, Envision, um, Mozilla, and Microsoft joins. These are people that understand the problem. They understand how big it gets, how bad it gets, and how different companies are trying to solve these things. So there's tacit knowledge that these people brought to the table besides my own personal experiences. So the team was assembled in a way that would automatically sort of build into this vision versus needing to discover why are we doing this? What are we doing this for? Everybody came into the team understanding the problem, understanding the scale of the problem, understanding the scale of the opportunity, and then sort of like barreling forward from there. Then then on it just took took its own sort of course. Um, and we ended up raising a $15 million Series A about seven or eight months later. And uh, we've just been executing heads down ever since. What is the um, uh, and congrats on that in um, you know a great uh, Series A uh, sort of round. I think is oh, thank it, you. Eight, is it eighteen point five million that you've raised in total across seed and Series A? That's right. Yes, eighteen point five million. And lead investor was Atomico. Was that Atomico right? led the seed, uh, the Series A, and Mosaic led the seed. Salesforce and and uh, my former boss Tavet and the founder of Indeed.com and Paul Forster. The founder of Even Bright, Renault Visage, and the former CTO of Twilio, um, Oit Kokor. A couple of other small angels also joined, joined the round. Good, good stuff. Well, great, great names there as well. And, and how, I guess, with the having these uh, great names as angels, we're seeing a lot of that. What is the, for those that may not you know, think of it, sort of obviously, what is the benefit of having folks like that involved in the round? What And what value are they adding to you beyond the money? So... Like um, having people, so these are all people that all these names, right? So um, Tavet and Paul and um, Rano and Oit, these are people that have built billion dollar companies that know the journey and the complexity and the scale of that undertaking, right? From an operation standpoint, from a fundraising standpoint, from a company building and culture building standpoint. So they're they're not just, um, they're definitely not purely a source of money, right? And the confidence that they can give you just as just literally just being there and being having access to them when something goes off or something goes wrong or you want to bounce off some ideas from them that um, 
those conversations that you have with them are incredibly valuable. And um, sometimes, you know, there's, they've been there, done that, and they've been around the block and, and they can look around corners for you. I think the looking around corners is the number one value because they can look around corners in terms of people, in terms of company, in terms of strategy, in terms of fundraising, and they can like sort of look ahead and say, hey, this is what could possibly go wrong and this is what could possibly go right. And just another set of data points for you to collect and, and make um, make better decisions based off of. And uh, that's incredibly valuable. Besides the obvious, like, you know, access to network and like further intros, intros to companies, intros to investors, like this is, um, that I think is the number one um, value add. Going back to when you, launched the uh, the company uh, mm-hmm. uh i don't know actually if you were sort of you know in stealth for a while and then you you know there, there was a kind of a, a bigger kind of launch um mm-hmm. and maybe you can kind of share that but what were the what is the, the the story and the lessons around launching catalog so i wouldn't do it any differently if if that if that's the broader question so when we started the company the scale of the problem that we are attacking is massive right and um the pain point is real. The demand for it is real. So if I was building a SaaS company where I'm not sure of the demand and I'm not sure of like, is, how big is the market for this? Do people need this? If I was, if I was facing those sorts of questions, I would, uh, I would look to get to market as quickly as possible. The lowest fidelity prototype that can get you the maximum amount of love from customers is, is essentially the approach I'd take. But we knew the complexity. One, the complexity of the product is quite high. And how do you piece all these things together? How do you build the systems, the infrastructure, the scale, the UX? Product concerns is, is, is quite high. And um, I knew there was a demand for this, like well before I started the company. And uh, we, 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 even though we were in stealth, we were letting customers through the door. Like we did four waves of mini launches where we brought in 10, 50, 100 customers and we were getting feedback. The team needed to constantly hear from customers what they were seeing, what was working, what wasn't working. We just kept the constant feedback loop with the customer, but spaced out. So that allowed the team to focus on building, take it to customers, collect feedback, shut it down, go back, build further, take it to customers, feedback. You know, keep there's an iterative product building cycle. Um, which, while keeping very, very close to the customers that we that we um, that we set, and about about three months ago or so, two and a half months ago, we we launched on Product Hunt. It was the number one product of the day, and since then we have onboarded more than three thousand five hundred companies into the product. And so, that investment into making sure that the pipelines are clean, the product is less is is as bug free as possible, and making sure that the experience of speaking to customers was achieved through that iterative process. I mean, it continues, but it continues at a much bigger scale uh, than it was uh, maybe a year ago or six months ago. With, with regard to the, the, the customer feedback sort of loop, uh, what are the key questions that you're asking there? Like, I, I think I heard, but was it what is working and what is not working? And just asking these two questions and getting the feedback and uh, you know, having that uh, iterative, pro- iterative process or is, is there more to it? Yeah, so there's there's many dimensions to it. So so I'm I'm simplifying it. But if you look at a company and if you segment it by customer size, like a 500 person company has different expectations of the product, has different onboarding requirements, has different security requirements versus a 50 person company, 
So as a 500 person company, what does that journey look like for you? And who in the company is the right person to, to take this on? Who is the right profile? Who is, and what is the process internally for you to get this through into the organization? Right? For a 50 person company, it might, it's almost always the, the leader. It's usually a COO, CEO that comes in and they can mandate that across the company very, very quickly. Right? And uh, that's a different process. We learn different things. And if you segment the population by different criteria, if you, if you segment by size of company, you learn different things. If you segment by type of profile, you learn different things. If you segment by what use case that they're coming in for, you learn different things. So our job was to make sure that the questions were clear for the profile and company size that we were looking for. And that's sort of like the, the, the technographics and uh, what sort of technologies are they using, the firmographics of the company, what sort of company are they, what use cases, which industry. So we have a map of all these different concerns and then we sort of fill that with as much information as possible for us to make the right decisions. And in terms of the the, the model uh, or the pricing model, um, you know, for, for the product. So you mentioned uh, after the product hunt launch, 3,000 uh, new signups, which is, you know, fantastic. Uh, are these, you know, uh, going into a freemium plan and then you sort of like, you know, um, monetizing them, uh, you know, through uh, other means or, or how, how, how does the pricing sort of work in the structure? So there's a mix of those, right? So there's there's a small companies. We allow, if you're up to 10 people, we allow you to use the product for free so you can you know, um, get used to the capabilities and features. Once you get past that, you have to pay. And so we have various companies in the hundreds of people scale. We're now starting to, to speak to the thousands of people scale companies the tons of companies, the tons of agencies and the 100 people, 80 people, 100 people scale. So that's the sort of like, anything above 10 is monetized. And, and, and in terms of the, the go-to-market model, like so beyond the, 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 the product hunt launch, how are you uh, acquiring customers? Um, you, what are the strategies? So early on, we had an early access list, right? And uh, we broadly... Um, sort of spread the um, announcement in sort of like various places in, 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 in and around the network of the company. So we had tons of activity and organic, organic activity in like Slack groups and WhatsApp chats and people just coming in and saying, hey, can we try this? We, we really like the sound of this thing and we'd love to give it a go. And then we had an early access list and we collected thousands and thousands of emails um, through that and thousands of high intent uh, emails. And so... Our early waves of customers essentially came through these early access lists. And we're still working through that list. It's, it's, it's a pretty long list. And there's different people sort of come in at different times in their journey. Uh, our go-to-market model was basically collect as much interest as possible and go through them. We also, yes, product hunt gives you a nice little bump. But, you know, um, that's not where the traffic is coming from. The traffic is coming from organically people talking about the existence of the company. Lots of people, lots of referrals through our network and existing customers that are using the product and talking about it to other customers. Uh, so there's there's various channels that are that are operating. Have you have you tried? Uh, or, so these sound like you know some of the channels and the things that activities that you've done that have worked or are working continue to work. What about that's not uh, things that you've tried that have, haven't worked and that maybe you've just kind of like, you know, tested once and switched off or, you know, any, any lessons that you can learn from what you've tried around go to market that, that hasn't worked as well. So we, we've, um, we didn't, we didn't uh, leave any stone unturned from a channel perspective. So 
the team had about a year to test every single channel that works, what sort of messaging works across which, which industry. So if you're a SaaS company, uh, you might want to be super conscious about who the buyer is and where they are. And what, even if they're there, what mindset are they in, right? So you might actually find a lot of your, your audiences on TikTok, right? And if you can bite-sized give um, a very quick explanation of what you're doing, TikTok might be a very good channel for you. And if you, you can go to Reddit and you can put tons of money into Reddit ads, for instance, right? And uh, you might get lots of clicks, but the intent isn't there for, for that. For that Even if the buyer profile is right, you might get some amount of discovery. So it doesn't really work. So it's deeply understanding who your target profile is, where do they, you know, where do you find them and what sort of mindset do they have in that specific place? And then optimizing for sort of like buy intent, um, interest intent, oh, I'm interested in learning more. Like if you're a SaaS company, uh, one of those big re- review boards, like G2s and the Capterras, uh, are incredible places to source customers from. That makes sense. Makes sense. And um, I wanted to know um, or, or learn a little bit more. So, as, as in your previous uh, sort of roles, so you, you were leading products or leading pro- um, or you, uh, product engineering, I, I believe, right in uh, oh, the growth team, yeah, yeah. which is now uh, Wise, and uh, had the product role uh, at AWS uh, uh, as well, right? No, Amazon so, Digital. So Amazon Digital. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so mo- moving from these sort of product roles uh, to being CEO, mm-hmm. what, what are the, the, well, obviously there's probably some big, big differences, but what learnings can you share from making that move and then to being, you know, CEO and, uh, you know, running catalog for the last couple of years? What, 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 and with that, what would be like the hardest parts of the job uh, and what do you enjoy the most? So I think the product role is extremely well suited for, you know, as a segue into into CEO, partly because you sort of have to dive super deep into some areas, say, stu- sh- say super shallow in some areas, but, you know, keep many wheels spinning, um, product engineering, design, business, data, analytics, like all those sorts of things are, there's complexity to that role. And there's an amount of ambiguity to that role, um, which which sort of feeds well into becoming, becoming a CEO, right? And, uh, being uncomfortable with uncertainty and then waiting for data and waiting for sort of like conviction to drive things is 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 a is is native to being a product person, right? And it's and it's sort of native to being a CEO as well. Now, the lucky journey that I had was I dealt with fairly large complexity and scale for the last eight years of of, of my journey in tech, right? It's been super high scale, super high complexity. And so the transition has been equally complex, but in slightly different areas. You know what I mean? So company building is different from product building. And product building, you're thinking about building features, building capabilities. In company building, you're thinking about building machines that build capabilities, right? So what are the processes that you need to put in place to make some of these outcomes happen? What's the planning process is, is deeply rooted in people and not customers, right? Customer. If you if you if you plan and set up the the people of your company right, then the customers sort of take care of themselves. And so how do you how do you ensure that the company is set up right to meet those customers' demands? Is is where most of my time is spent. Now, yes, there's a lot of plumbing work that goes on underneath that. And there's um, marketing, finance, sales, accounting, 
you know, investor relations, there's um, capital planning, there's all kinds of things that go into building and running a company. But you get used to that pretty quickly. Well, often we see when companies kind of get, you know, get uh, into that real kind of like scale up stage, uh, you have like a, a COO kind of on board or whatever, and the CEO kind of moves into more visionary type mm-hmm. role. Um, which of those bits of plumbing would you be most uh, glad to kind of see the back of uh, uh, if you're not running the the day to day of the business in, in that sense? Definitely finance, but but we'll we'll have a head of finance fairly soon in the company, and hopefully um, I deal less with it. But there's there's a lot of minutiae and details that you that can like you know take up a lot of your attention. But I don't see I don't see a path where um so vision and execution are sort of linked i don't think you can fully remove yourself from that and say i'm going to dream and and uh, make those dream come those dreams come true you sort of need to be able to deeply understand the organization and everything that happens two years from now is stuff that you put in place today and so if you're if you're executing on today you're by default planning for two years from now yeah Right, and so unless your time horizon goes into five, ten years, and even then, you need to have a certain set of like, you know, dominoes to fall in place to to make those ten-year visions happen. It's 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 going to be impossible for somebody to fully step back and say, "I'm I'm going to just be the visionary of the company and and uh, tell people what to do." I don't think it works quite like that. What what is the the best piece of advice or? lesson that you've learned since you've started catalog so this is something that when we when we set up the company we emphasize heavily on right so we hire for values and we hire for uh, both a combination of strong values but also deeply understanding the problem and where we're going and um, there's one more piece that i would add earlier on which is understanding the vision for people within each of those roles Right. So there's a vision for the company, there's a vision for the product, but each of the people that are working in it also have personal visions. Right. So you need to find a way to thread that through to the company all the way to the end um, to, to have a cohesive team. And if you compromise on any of those things, you end up paying the price one way or the other. What, what book are you currently reading or what is your favorite uh, business book uh, of all time? So going back to, I think, Business is all about people. And uh, in order to understand people, you need to understand, you know, their motivations, their desires, their, like what is it that they're looking for, the meaning and purpose. I think that sets people up for a much better position to do business in. So one thing, um, I'm, I'm massively into philosophy and how, how uh, objective philosophy. And uh, Hegel is, is one of my favorite philosophers. And it took me about five or six years of deep reading to fully get my head around everything he was saying. But I think the the book uh, Phenomenology of Spirit by Hegel is probably um, the best business book you can read uh, in terms of understanding people, understanding like consciousness and what gives people consciousness and all those kinds of things. I think uh, the... Um, Sublime Object of Ideology, I think, by Zizek is also a pretty strong book. Uh, these two things sort of give you a deep understanding of people and their mindsets and their consciousness and what, you know, 
how they perceive the world. And that allows you to manufacture the right company, the right setting, the right context for these people to, to execute, which ultimately results in the best products and the best companies. Where can people find you and Catalog online? Because it's not Catalog spelled with a C, right? It's Q-A-T-A-L-O-G dot com. And I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash T-A-R-I-Q-R-A-U-F. How do we find that most, twi- most SaaS founders are, are mostly on Twitter of, uh, mm-hmm. of any social media channel? Yes. Um, why, why is that in your case? Is it because of, that's where most SaaS founders are? Or I've, I've, been in, I've been on Twitter for, I think, nearly nine years now. And um, that's, that's where I've, I've, I've loads of people that I follow and follow back. And that's where most of the you know, up-to-date information sort of slips through. There's things on company building. I follow people on products. I follow people on um, uh, marketing, you know, sales. And there's a lot of information flow that happens in real time that you don't get anywhere else, right? And uh, podcasts are, are an async way of doing that. But if you want a quick flow of information, I think Twitter does a, does a really good job of that. Definitely. Good stuff. Well, uh, uh, Tarek, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking your time. Uh, Thank you for having me. And yeah, no, it's been great uh, learning from Absolute you. Absolute pleasure. And looking forward to the next few years of Catalog and, uh, and, and seeing that journey. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming sasdoc conferences around the world.